In this episode of the Latino Business Report, our guest is Vanessa A. Gonzalez, a board-certified employment law attorney and an equity partner in the law firm of Bickerstaff Heath Delgado Acosta. Ms. Gonzalez has over 25 years of experience helping employers comply with the law and has a thorough knowledge of both federal and Texas state law. She is board certified in labor and employment law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization and leads her firm's employment litigation group. Ms. Gonzalez has extensive experience in the preparation and negotiation of employment agreements, investigations of personnel matters, personal employment manuals, and training of executives, supervisors, and managers. Having dismissed numerous claims, Gonzalez has a successful track record of jury trials in both state and federal courts. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode. Today we're going to be talking about law. Some things are changing, folks. They're changing. I don't know if they're better or for the worse, but they're definitely changing. And these are some of the things that you need to be aware of, especially if you're a business owner. Now, today's guest is going to be Vanessa Gonzalez, attorney at law. She's based right here in Austin, Texas. Actually hails from the great city of Brownsville, Texas, along the low Rio Grande Valley. Vanessa, how are you today? And thank you for joining us. Good. Thanks for having me. Now, Vanessa, before we get into it, I just, uh, and I'm very proud of the fact is, as we have an, a Latina here, not only an attorney, but you're also a equity partner in your law firm here in Austin. That's correct. A lot of people do realize that being an equity partner, I mean, that's like at the top of the heap. So you're like a part owner of the law firm that you work with. How many, how many attorneys are there? Uh, I have to check the website. I think it's around 20 attorneys and I think we have 13 equity partners and uh, I'm, Got board certified in employment law in 2005, finished law school in 1995. And so, yes, well, I've been a partner for, for, I've been with a firm now for 10 years. Well, congratulations. Have you, did you always want to be a lawyer? At what point in your career did, or your childhood did you say, I want to be an attorney? Um, at the, uh, growing up in Brownsville, it kind of just seemed um, like an interesting thing, but I hadn't really met too many lawyers uh, going to the, the James Pace High School there in Brownsville, Texas. But um, I, somewhere along the way, I just became interested in the law. And uh, during undergraduate, my undergraduate studies, I took some classes that I were just, I became fascinated with the law and um, and just wanted to do well in school so that I could uh, get good grades. And I studied for the LSAT and I applied uh, and I got did well on the LSAT. So I decided, yep, I'm going to definitely go for law school and I'm really glad I did. I st- I really enjoy the law as much as I thought I might. Well, good. And we definitely need good lawyers. So let's get right into it. Some of the things that are happening, there's what are the changes occurring in the sexual harassment laws in the workplace? Right. So um, about a year ago, there was some changes in Texas sexual harassment law, but I think it's going to be helpful just to have a review of the federal employment law just so everybody can understand the distinctions and the changes. So the federal employment law uh, with, that contains sexual harassment is called Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Most people in this country have heard of it. It was passed after the civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King. Uh, 
it was initiated initially by John F. Kennedy, but it was signed into law by uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, because as we all know, JFK was assassinated and we had a new president come into office. And so it was signed into, into law by him, LBJ. And so it's been the law of the land since 1964. And it is Title VII of the Civil, Civil Rights Act encompasses no discrimination in the workplace. And it has a bunch of protected categories such as you know, gender, race, national origin, dis- uh, these sorts of things. The, the sexual harassment piece comes in under the gender, sex discrimination. And so everybody in the, in the whole, all 50 states have to comply with the federal law. But states can, can do changes in their state that have more um, rules for employers, but they can never take away from the federal law rules. So to make a sexual harassment claim under the federal law, um, an employee has to prove that they belong to the protected group, that they were subject to, this is for a hostile work environment claim, okay. that they were uh, subject to a, uh, unwelcome harassment in the workplace, that they uh, that, the, that the harassment complained of was based on that protected characteristic, that the harassment complained of was a, a, a affected a term, condition, or privilege of employment, and that the employer knew or should have known of the harassment and failed to take prompt remedial action. So this is when an employee is claiming another employee uh, was sexually harassed them. So that fifth, it's called element, that fifth element, the employer knew or should have known of the harassment and failed to take prompt and remedial action. That doesn't apply if it was a supervisor. If it was the boss, then they obviously already knew. So that number five doesn't apply. But this is when it's a co-worker uh, alleging a uh, a co-worker sexually harassed them. Another, I mean, you, you said if you're a member of a protected class, what if the employee is not in that protected class? Well, there's a lot of um, workplaces have bullying rules, anti-bullying rules and stuff and things like that. But under the current sexual harassment law, you have to be in the protected class to claim a sexual harassment claim. Some of the okay. ones that I and mentioned. For, for my own edification, for my own edification, that of the listeners, in a simplified version, what is what is sexual harassment? I mean, to me, it seems like such a broad scope. It's kind of, how do you identify it? Okay, so we'll back up. Sexual harassment. So we're talking right now about sexual harassment. So that's based on gender. That's based on gender. There's also harassment that's not sexual harassment. It's just harassment based on race. And that's a different, that's obviously different because that's based on race. So when we're talking about sexual harassment, this is based on gender. And there's two kinds of sexual harassment. One is quid pro quo sexual harassment. And that's like when a boss tells a worker, you will get a promotion if you go on a date with me. Quid pro quo. That's That rarely happens in the year 2023. People know that that's a violation of sexual harassment laws. That used to happen a lot in the 1970s. You know, this doesn't just, mm-hmm. just doesn't happen as much. The other kind of sexual harassment claim is a hostile work environment claim. And that's the one that I just talked about with you is that the the employee was subject to unwelcome harassment um, because of their because of their gender because we're talking about sexual harassment because of their gender and that that um, harassment affected a term condition or privilege of employment and then the last thing is that the employer knew or should have known of the harassment and failed to take prompt remedial action so where the Texas law made a change is that an employer under the federal law is an employer who has at least fifteen employees now. Uh, there's a new Texas law that passed on September 1 of 2021, which a lot of people are still learning about. And it says this sexual harassment law, people can be uh, liable if they have just one employee. One employee is all you need. 
And so, um, so fit that that magic number fifteen is no longer the threshold. Nope, it can affect small businesses. An employer is a person okay. who employs one or more employees, is what the new statute says for Texas. This is for Texas. Um, and then the employer definition is uh, there's a second, there's a part two, or the the uh, the employer is someone who acts directly in the interest of an employer in relation to an employee. So that's a a different category of a person who can be an employer. So that is theoretically could include, I mean, who acts directly in the interest of an employer supervisors, right? Maybe an HR mm-hmm. professional, maybe a con- independent contractor. So we don't know exactly how that definition will be interpreted by the courts. Um, but now in Texas there, that's a bigger category of who can be liable under a sexual harassment claim. And so okay, that's me, kind let of, let me a, ask you this question. Let me ask this question. Um, and you touch on there. So let's say you have one, you have a couple of employees, but you also have um, contract labor or contract workers. So right. are you also responsible for those contract workers? Now, okay, here's the thing. In Texas, under this new rule, those, the, this is the definition of employer who can be sued for sexual harassment. So under the federal law, an employer is someone who has 15 or more employees. So that's not typically, I mean, that's not typically an independent contractor. It could be, but that it was an employer had 15 or more employees and they employed Mm -hmm. the person who's filing suit. Now in Texas, the employer can be anybody who works directly in the interest of the employer. So that can be one single person who happens to be the supervisor for that employer or the HR professional or possibly an independent contractor. We don't know how the courts will interpret this law. So when are the courts actually going to interpret this law? Well, it, what happens is that it, it could be starting now. I'd looked and I didn't find any cases just yet. So what happens is that somebody sues somebody under the Texas law. And let's say that in the lawsuit, they add an HR professional. So then um, the for the first step is that the courthouse, the judge in the courthouse needs to say, is this a viable lawsuit that can go to a jury or am I going to throw it out of court? It's called a motion for summary judgment. And the judge will say, well, under this statute, it looks like you have can sue the HR employer. So I'm going to take it, let the jury decide whether or not this H employer acts directly in the interest of the employer. So then they have a jury trial and that could take a year. So if somebody filed a lawsuit on September 2nd of 2021, they probably wouldn't get to a jury trial until September, October, November, December of 2022, maybe even January or February of this year. The first case that's been filed under this may just now be going to a jury trial if they survived the first level where they have, they tried to get the motion lawsuit dismissed. So if it goes to a jury trial now, then they may file an appeal if they lose, and we and we see about this stuff, you know, when it goes to the appellate courts more often than not, and, uh, unless it's in federal court. But these are state claims, which will be in state court. So then we'll get a federal court opinion sometime at the end of twenty three, the middle to the end of twenty twenty three. We might get our first court interpretation of this new statute. Vanessa, you said that this law went into effect in twenty twenty one, and a lot of people still aren't aware of it. Is there any other major changes besides the fifteen employee rule that owners should be aware of, business owners should be aware of? Well, also anybody who works in the direct interest of an employer. So, so people need to be aware of that. And also they need to be aware that it's important that if you, if you witness it, a sexual harassment, you should report it to the employer. You should report it to the HR department or, or to whoever, if, hopefully the HR department, uh, that you witness the sexual harassment. Because remember, people who work in the interest of the employer can be liable. Now, under the Title VII rule, the employer is required to take prompt remedial action if they find out about sexual harassment under the Texas law. Now, um, 
liability is if the person failed to take immediate and appropriate corrective action. So there's a little bit of a different wording there than prompt remedial action on the federal law. Now in state law, it says failed to take immediate and appropriate corrective action. So if you are a supervisor working for a company, you you're, you really should report any sexual harassment that you become aware of um, so that you don't get named in a lawsuit. So are you saying that if you witness sexual harassment or some form and do not report it, that you can be held, that that, that individual can be held liable? Well, uh, I'm saying the courts are going to need to interpret that. The courts are going to need to interpret that because the way the law is written is if you um, work directly in the interest, a person who directs directly in the interest of an employer in relation to an employee, and then they, and then the definition is they fail to take immediate and appropriate corrective action. So the way that that statute is written will have to be interpreted by the courts. Um, but it's, it's, it's always been important, um, for, for HR departments to be made informed of anything going on like that in the workplace so that they can take, take corrective action under federal law. But now the wording is even more strict. So it would be smart for people to report it. And that should be in their policy manuals and employers should be updating their policy manuals. I know we're talking to mostly employers, right? This is the business report, Mm -hmm. Latino business. So I represent, I mean, we have all kinds of listeners, but we do have business owners out there. Yeah, I, I represent business owners. I, I do. I, I over all of my career, I've helped businesses, small businesses, large businesses. The size doesn't matter. Make sure that they're complying with these with the employment laws. So the best thing for them to do is to hire an employment lawyer to make sure that their policy manuals are up to date with these laws, so that the employees and the supervisors are informed of their their duty to report anything like that to the HR department, so that an investigation can take place, and then. Uh, if it, if there's any wrongdoing that's been found in the investigation, they can take that immediate and appropriate corrective action. And immediate and appropriate corrective action may mean immediately putting somebody on leave of absence while you do the investigation. So that's the most important step that can be taken right now by small business owners is to make sure that their policy manual indicates that, that they want this reported by all anybody who sees this in the workplace so that they can take that immediate and appropriate corrective action and nobody is named in a lawsuit nobody is held liable because they do the things right from the beginning and that's what we try to do that's what we try to do and that's what i try to help employers do is help them comply with these employment laws okay now you mentioned earlier a representative or agent of a business so if you have a business owner who hires has a foreman and the foreman is guilty of sexual harassment so is a business owner held liable for the actions of his employee or agent so if if these if that foreman or agent is a supervisor level they can be uh if the person is an employee then it's if the employer knew about it if they knew about it or should have known so if the employer should have known what does that mean that means if several people knew about it there was lots of rumors going on around about it then the employer should have known and they can get that can be proven in court um, and then the, the employer can still be liable, even though they didn't officially know, nobody officially came and made a written report to HR, they should have known because a lot of people in the workplace knew this was happening. Okay, so these are some of the changes going on, Vanessa. So you said the best thing a person should do is at least make sure their employee manuals are updated. What other steps can they take? Well, that is the number one most important step. The next step that they can definitely do is do some training. Uh, it's a good idea to do training in the workplace, make sure that everybody is aware of what, yeah, you know, important um, rules about the conduct in, in the workplace so that people know that they should not. Uh, you know, in the old days, we used to uh, do training that talked about 
the language of the statute that anything that's so se severe and pervasive so as to alter the terms and conditions of employment. But nowadays, most people have a zero tolerance policy. They're not going to put up with anything that can be interpreted as sexual harassment. The definition for sexual harassment is is is, is something we never want to get close to. You know, it has to be severe and pervasive to be a hostile work environment under the law. But most workplaces are like, look, we're not going to even let it start to get there. We're going to have a zero tolerance policy. And so you can have training, training in your workplace in addition to the policy manual that helps people understand and know uh, what's expected of them so they don't accidentally make some mistakes because a lot of these things can happen through mistakes and people joking around and then the jokes just go too far and suddenly you have a lawsuit on your hands. So training and the policy manual are the best two first steps. So in the state of Texas, that threshold has been raised and so it kind of adds more teeth or adds a few more layers to what federal law is? It adds, well, it adds, it, it, it definitely adds the number of people that can be an uh, for an employer to be an employer. Yes, sir. All right. So it's going to be interesting to see what the courts have to say on that and how this thing pans out. But that's very, um, very helpful. Thank you. And I think uh, as far as the business owners or managers out there, if you're not aware of this, make sure you are and just check with, uh, to see about your HR department or maybe, um, a local law firm and um, see what we can do to, to uh, make sure you get your manuals up to snuff and make sure that they're um, abiding by the um, by the new law. I want to talk to you about some other things. What's going on in the area of the, the DEI arena? Well, there is, this is a, a big hot topic right now. Um, the governor of Texas just sent out a letter to state agencies uh, instructing them that DEI initiatives um, can be a violation of the law and they need to be careful not to discriminate against their employees. Um, and so that's kind of been um, in, in the news recently. You may have heard about it. Um, he sent that letter on February 6th uh, to state agencies and uh, his chief of staff, Gardner Pate, is the one who actually sent the letter. And let's see here. I can I can give you a little quote. He told agency leaders that using diversity, equity and inclusion policies in hiring violates federal and state employment laws and hiring cannot be based on factors other than merit. So, you know, there's a lot of companies now that have uh, diversity, equity and inclusion uh, initiatives in their workplace. And so this is uh, a notice from the governor's office to be careful when you're making hiring decisions that you're not violating people's rights because of DEI initiatives. So there was a, a court case that just came out of the Houston uh, Southern District of Texas, and it really goes into detail about what in a DEI initiative can be interpreted uh, to violate people's rights in the workplace. But there is a Texas statute, I want to say, uh, and that Texas statute is, uh, it, 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 it's important to note, uh, let's see here, it's section 21.121 of the Texas Labor Code. And that, and that Texas Labor Code says an employer does not commit an unlawful employment practice by developing and implementing personnel policies that incorporate workforce diversity programs. So you can have DEI initiatives in the workplace, um, but you need to be careful that when you make hiring decisions, it's not just based on race. And so I can go through, it would take about a half hour to go through um, the litmus test that was described by the court in the Southern District of Texas in this Houston case, of what can make a DEA, DEI program discrimination? Because you can have, it is legal to have DEI programs to try to diversify your workforce. 
You just have to be very careful that you have an employment lawyer help you to make sure that you do it in a way that does not violate anybody's rights in the workplace. Vanessa, let me ask you this. The fact that there's um, the governor put out that memo that they're going to be changing some of the standards here in Texas as far as DEI hirings, do you think this would encourage or maybe force any companies that do have a DEI program to eliminate them and say, let's just not even mess with it? So it's so importantly, very important, the governor's letter is to state agencies. So he's instructing this because he's the governor of the state. So this is like the Department of Education, the, the attorney general's office, you know, the railroad, any state office. And that does include universities because they are state they are state offices as well. So he's instructing them specifically with regard to private businesses. I mean, it's kind of like, OK, we take note of this. We take note of this because I did read you that Texas law that allows diversity initiatives in the workplace. But if you, the, the Houston, the Southern District of Texas just had a case with a private employer, not a state agency, um, that got sued by a white male because they had a, a DEI initiative that wanted to increase the level of women in the workplace. And the male was subject to a reorganization of the company and his position was, was stopped and he lost his employment. And when he tried to, re, to, to reapply for other positions, they continued to hire women. And they had a specific goal of, uh, let's see, I think it was like 3% increase in women. And they had a specific year by 2025. And the judge, and there's, so it's interesting because there's a, 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 a laws that are not employment laws that are, that are relevant. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act applies to employment law. Title VI of the employment law applies to education institutions because it has to do with anybody getting federal grant money. So you know, institutions under uh, higher education institutions, they they have affirmative action programs uh, where they are out, they are allowed to include race as one factor. The current laws, they can include race as one factor of many in a holistic approach of who gets admitted to universities. So the, te- the United States Supreme Court is about to rule on another lawsuit attacking that uh, affirmative action and uh, it's, a, it's a lawsuit against Harvard, and there's another lawsuit against University of North Carolina, and the lower courts followed the law and said that their affirmative action programs were legal, and the United States Supreme Court said, we're going to take those appeals here to the United States Supreme Court. So those lower courts followed the existing law, so the United States Supreme Court said, we want to hear those cases. So a lot of people believe, just like the United Support, uh, Supreme Court just reversed Roe v. Wade, that they might reverse affirmative action in the country. And so if they do that, that law, if that law changes for ed, for students in universities, that would ha- can have an effect on Title VII um, because people use the same arguments to argue, hey, this might apply to employees as well. And so uh, for private employers, I think private employers are going to be looking at the language used in the United States Supreme Court opinion that comes out that rules on affirmative action between probably now and June of this year. We're expecting the opinion to come out. And so we're going to look at what did the United States Supreme Court say about these rules? Because right now, affirmative action is legal for universities as long as race is one factor among many. And as long as there's no quotas, no quotas, you can't have a quota that you have to have a certain number. And that's currently legal right now as long as there's no quotas. So back to this Houston case in the Houston court, the, 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 the judge said, look, they've got quotas here for how many women they're going to hire by 2025. And so that judge in Houston he, um, he, he, the the employer, the private employer, tried to get the lawsuit thrown out of court, saying this white guy does not have a case. 
Uh, and he th- and he said, I'm not going to throw this out. I'm going to let the jury make a decision because your DEI initiative it went so far so as to have quotas. And so and it had certain numbers and it has and also had um, it also had bonuses of the supervisors that were uh, and key key uh, key indicators for the for the managers that they were considered to have done a better job if they if they kept up with the DEI initiatives. And so the judge said, I'm going to let a jury listen to this to see if this is uh, if they if they believe that it was discrimination. So that's that 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 case just came about and that's brand new. And in the beginning of that case, I'll note the federal judge in that case, he said, you know, this brings up a very important question on whether or not. um, Let's see here on, you know, let me read you the quote from the judge in the federal case. This lawsuit raises a question that many companies are struggling to answer. What steps can a company take to encourage the promotion of women and unrepresented minorities to managerial positions without discriminating against men or individuals outside the protected class seeking the same opportunities? So it's very clear from that judge's quote at the beginning of the case that there's there's not really been a clear answer to that. And so he this judge in this case said, I'm going to let I'm going to I'm not going to throw this case out filed by this white man. And I'm going to let the jury decide if he was discriminated against by the DEI initiatives. But uh, again, this does not mean that DEI is illegal. It means you need to be careful on how you do it. And, it, you know, it's DEI initiatives that encourage, um, you know, to eliminate unconscious biases in the workplace and to have diverse panels of people that are on the hiring committee and things like that are completely legal. Uh, and, and I read you that t- Texas statute that says diversity initiatives are legal just want to be careful how you do it so that you don't get challenged in the court about your DEI initiative. So Vanessa, is the pendulum swinging the other way? I mean, in 1964 laws passed because there definitely was discrimination in the workplace. And now you're saying as if like Roe versus Wade, that it may come to a point where the whole DEI type initiatives and is just overturned completely. I, I, well, like I just said, Right now, they are they are still legal in Texas. They are legal right now in Texas. There's a Texas statute that makes them legal. You just need to be careful how you do it. And so, you know, I'm out of time, and we could talk about this issue for an hour, especially with the Supreme Court about to rule on affirmative action. Um, you know, I'm happy to get into this another time. But, I mean, I you know, the American people can decide if the pendulum is swinging. I mean, there's more conservative justices on the United States Supreme Court. So, uh, you know, you can pick up the newspaper any day and decide for yourself if the pendulum is swinging, <laughs> You know, I'm not one to tell people. It's in the news every day. <laughs> well, Vanessa, this has been very enlightening. I want, I want to thank you very much, and I know your time is valuable. But I would like to invite you back. Um, as these things start progressing, as we have other things that are affecting uh, employment, employment law, definitely want to see about getting you back. And with your permission, what I'd like to do is to put your contact information on the podcast notes. So if anybody has anything specific that they can at least reach out to you and and, and and ask you about that. Is it, is that okay if I do that? Yeah. I'm at the biggerstaff.com and my email address is on the website. So if anybody goes to biggerstaff.com and they go to my page at my email address is public information right there on the website. Okay. And we'll put, and we'll put a link to that now then um, before we go. And once again, thank you for making time to, to be on the podcast. Is there any advice you have? Um, any other advice? Okay. One, make sure that your um, manual is your employee manual is updated um, two, just make sure that your employees and your managers are, are aware of the changes. Is there anything else a, a business owner or a manager may want to do just to take a protective measure? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can, you can have an employment lawyer on retainer to call to call them whenever you have a question. So that way, when you're making 
you know, I have a lot of clients that um, they have they have a contract with me that have an employment law questions. They can call me up. I mean, I help businesses every day. Uh, sometimes things can happen and it's really handy that they have me already signed up so that if somebody comes to work drunk and they're screaming and yelling, they can call me and say, what do I do? You know, is it legal for me to tell this guy he's fired? You know, I help the businesses make yeah. sure they comply with employment laws. And so having an employment lawyer on retainer is is a valuable thing to have so that you can make that that hot phone call when you need to make it about what what's uh, what are your rights as an employer, a small business owner? Uh, and you want to comply with the laws, but you also want to make sure you have a safe workplace. I understand. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Latino Business Report. I'm, my name is J.R. Gonzalez. I've been your host. And our guest today has been Vanessa Gonzalez, attorney at law, and telling us about some of the things that have been happening here in Texas. And uh, I guess we'll just have to be watching the, uh, the courts, Vanessa, to see what happens. That's right. So... With that said, thank you very much. And remember, you can uh, follow our podcast or give a like. We always welcome your comments. You can find us at latinobusinessreport.com. And, of course, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we should be there. Until next time, folks. 